Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Today, the scripture reading is Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. You all grab a quick seat. We are continuing to work our way through this Advent season. Candles are continuing to be lit, even if they're digital candles. And we are moving uh, into the Christmas season. And hopefully you are enjoying that and have everything bought and ready to go. And everything's dialed in at home. And I'm sure that's the case for all of us. Uh, someone earlier, one of the, the fourth candle was lit, and someone was like, oh, are we already there? Like, I'm getting a little nervous about the fact that maybe this thing's moving a little faster than what I was prepared for. But, uh, man, this is such an intimate, powerful scene that we're looking at today. Mary, uh, alone with this angel, Gabriel, that comes, and we see this word twice mentioned in this passage, behold, which means watch and see. Check out what's, what's, what's unfolding in front of you. First, the angel says to Mary, behold, watch and see what the Lord is doing. And then Mary repeat, returns to the angel and says, behold, watch and see my response to what is going on here. And this really is the heart of Christmas for us. It's what we're calling us to. It's why we've called this series Watch and See is because we each have to watch and see, really see what God is doing. It's easy to get busy. It's easy to run from the third candle to the fourth candle to the tree and the presence and the things and to not really see all that's going on. And second, we're, we need to respond as Mary does. She says, 
You know, the question for us is, will we respond with, with similar words? She says, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Friends, can you trust God with the unknown that's coming your direction? In this season, I think it's a question, it's a, it's a worthy question to ask. Will we willingly follow his direction even we, when we aren't sure that it all makes total sense to us from our perspective? This is what Mary did and she becomes an example for us. Friends, will you trust God with your life, with your family, with your kids, with your health, with your finances, with your career, with your dreams and desires and hopes? Will you put your life in God's hands as Mary did and say, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your will or your word. That's the invitation that I think we have in this sermon today. It's the question I want us to wrestle with as we consider the beautiful example set to us for us by this faithful, strong, humble teenage girl that was interrupted by God's angel who was sent with a message from her and an invitation to face a wild, weird, and wonderful future that she wasn't sure exactly how it was gonna unfold. Uh, that's what I want us to look at today. As we begin to think about Mary, um, we're gonna come at this a little different today. I wanna actually come at it through the eyes of the angel, Gabriel. I want us to think about it from the perspective of the angel. I've never actually never heard anyone talk about this before from this perspective, but I think if you wanna fully understand the significance of what's happening in Mary's life, we need to better understand the perspective of the angel and what was going on in his life that was the one that was sent from God to her. And when we think about angels, I find most of us aren't really sure what to think. Like, what does an angel really look like? If an angel spoke to you, what would it sound like? Like, what does the voice of an angel really sound like in real life? What does an angel do for their nine to five? Like, like what's their basic job? Like, where do they live? I got all these questions that we have. I don't think we really have any idea. And honestly, as I thought about it, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon about angels. I was thinking about this. I was trying to remember back and like, just, I don't know if you realize, but I go to church pretty regularly. And I've been doing this for a long time. And I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon on angels. And I sort of get diving in. I'm like, man, this is fun. Like, we're gonna have to do a series on this. this is gonna... And so I'm trying to pare it down a little today, but we're not gonna get all that. But here's the question. I think because most of us haven't really thought about it, we tend to think of angels like the caricatures we see in art or film. So in your mind, you may picture like this little cherub-like little thing with tiny little wings floating above a cottony cloud with a baby face and, you know, this kind of infantile, you know, fat little thing floating around like an angel. You know, sometimes that's the image we get from little cartoons and things like that. Or maybe you think of Clarence. Y'all know Clarence, don't you? It's a Wonderful Life. Great movie. Horrible theology of angels. Like nothing's real in that. Like there's whatever you need to know. Like I'm not trying to ruin the movie. Like love the movie. It's a great movie. Just know that everything about Clarence and what it says about angels is not gonna be found anywhere in here. So uh, just just be, be willing to watch it and enjoy it for what it is and then move on. Um, but as we talk about angels, I wanna give us some teaching about what the Bible actually says about angels today. And all of this is a better way to understand what was actually happening to Mary. So I'm gonna spend about half our time looking at angels and then we're gonna shift and we're gonna look at six messages that Gabriel, that God, Gabriel brought from God to Mary uh, that really shape her life and what we understand. So, sound good? 
So we're gonna do, uh, the silver dollar word for this is angelology, the study of angels. So we're gonna do that for just a little bit. Angels are created spirit beings, which can be confusing because we also see God as spirit, the scriptures say. And so you might think, oh, well, angels are just like God, but they're not. They're, they're created, they're creatures who are like us, who are made by God. There was a time when angels didn't exist and God spoke them into existence and they came into the world. So they're creatures similar to us. In fact, Nehemiah 9 says, you are, you are the Lord. Lord, you alone, you made the heaven, the heaven of the heavens with all their hosts and the hosts of heaven worship you. God made the angels. Colossians 1, 16 says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Angels are creatures made by God for God. They are not God-like in that sense. And then you can see in the Bible that angels are referred to in lots of different terms. You hear seraphim and cherubim, cherubim and all, all these different terms, thrones and dominions and authorities and hosts of heaven and sons of God. There's these different terms that are used. But here's a few things we know about angels. Angels are personal, meaning they, they have relationships with others. And so they have a sense of being and can relate to other people. They possess intelligence. Angels have emotions. Angels have a will so that they can do what they desire. They have moral ability to do right and wrong. Um, angels have the capacity to worship just like you and I do. They also have the capacity to rebel against God just like you and I do. Angels are remarkable beings. And because they have lived much longer and experienced much more than humans, they have a perspective on life that we can never share in our current state. You understand the angels were here before the, the, this world was created. In fact, it says that angels rejoiced, Job says, when the earth was created. So they pre-exist us, and because they don't have body, don't have a body like us, they don't get tired and old and break down like we do, and they don't, uh, apparently, they don't die. And so that's why I think Hebrews quotes Psalm 8 and saying, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him, O Lord? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. So there's a sense in which, at least in this life, and while we are still in this mortal body, that we're a little bit lower than the angels. And I think what that means is that they just have greater knowledge because they've seen a whole lot more. Uh, think about how much smarter you are now than when you were when you were 18. Now, what if you added like 10,000 years to that? Like hopefully you've grown a little bit along the way. That's kind of the idea here. And angels have greater power uh, and they don't have physical bodies that die, but it's also important to say they're not gods. Angels are creatures and so they can only be in one place at one time. Angels aren't omnipresent. They can't go everywhere all at once. They can, like you and I, they can be present at one place at one time. Angels have limited knowledge. They don't, they're not all knowing. They're not all powerful like God even though they're strong enough to uh, wage war with the evil spirits and against the enemy. In fact, what we see is angels are servants who carry out the Lord's bidding. Uh, Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his words, obeying the voice, uh, the word of his, the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. So angels are servants that do the bidding of the Lord, that as he speaks, they move and they do what he asked them to do. They are constantly serving and carrying out his will. Now, I think the obvious question for us that you begin to look is like, so how do I relate to angels? Like, what's, what's my relationship with these spirit beings that are running around the world, and uh, what does it look like? Well, what we see in Scripture is that normally we can't see them. 
that there's an invisible unseen world that we can't see. Um, there's a whole lot going on right now all around this planet that you, are not, you and I can't see and we don't know. That's the idea that you see in scriptures, that angels are invisible spirits. But in the Bible, sometimes angels appear in visions, and almost always in visions, they have these otherworldly, kind of very crazily different sort of appearance in the way in which they appear. You read about these in Revelation, for instance, and they seem very, uh, very just otherworldly is the best word I can think of it. Sometimes you see angels that appear like in Isaiah 6, it says that they have multiple wings, and they're, they're shouting back and forth praises of God and they're covering themselves with holiness in a certain way. And so that's the appearance that they took in the vision to Isaiah. Uh, sometimes they take on the appearance of people. That's what we seem to have here in Luke 1. Uh, the, the angel Gabriel looks like a man. We also see that other places where it, it appears as if the angel looks just like you or me and has taken on that appearance in order to sort of break into our world. Uh, you want a, a crazy example? Uh, there's other times in the Bible where uh, angels are, uh, are doing their normal thing. Yeah, like, like those weren't crazy already. You're like, you're like oh, you're gonna, now you're going to open us up and like loosen up a little bit. Uh, th there's one time in the Bible, this one just blows my mind, where uh, it actually opened, it says that the, the, they, they pray that the people's eyes might be opened, that they could see into the spiritual realm. So sometimes the angels enter our world and we get to see them. Sometimes people's eyes are open and they get to see into the spiritual realm, and we saw this with Elisha in the Old Testament. In fact, there was a situation where they were facing a battle, and it looked like they were going to lose. They were surrounded on every front, and Elijah's right-hand guy comes to him and is like, dude, we're in trouble. What are we going to do? And it says, uh, Elijah prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And there was this invisible army that was getting ready to wage war on their behalf and they were, for a minute, able to see into that realm. Friends, there's a whole lot more to our understanding of angels when you look at the scriptures than sometimes we give it credit for. And it's a mysterious, wild world in many ways that I think sometimes blows our minds. In fact, scriptures also suggest that angels are guarding and protecting us. Psalm 91 says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, some have conjectured that this uh, gets, means that we have guardian angels, that there's kind of this one-to-one -one correlation. I think that probably presses it too far, but I think there's a general principle here that God, as he commands these spirit beings to carry out his will on earth, one of the things he does is he commands them to watch out for his people, to care for his people, to guard his people, and to steer things in a certain direction. And we don't really know how this works, but it does seem like potentially they're playing more zone defense than man-to-man. -man. So you may not have like an assigned angel, but there are, I think, a, a sense that God's angels are, are working for our good in the world. It's important also to note uh, that only humans have been created in the image of God. So in, one, in that sense, we are a superior being, that we are the only ones that bear the fingerprints of God, that we bear the image of God, that we're the ones that he has chosen. We're the only ones that he has chosen to redeem. Uh, the fallen angels are never redeemed, but fallen humans have an opportunity. He sent a son as a savior to be redeemed. We are unique and we are distinct and different. In fact, uh, 1 Corinthians 6 says, do you not know that we are to judge the angels someday? Somehow, we humans are gonna be involved in judging 
the angels somehow in eternity. Angels are organized and seem to follow strategic plans. They organize for battle. We actually see that there's different ranks and static sort of classes of, uh, of angels, which is just kind of a strange thing to think about. That, like there's this military structure, and it's like you're a one star, you're a two star. I don't know how it works, but there seems to be this kind of rank and file of it. Uh, one angel is called an archangel. His name is Michael. Uh, to my knowledge, there's only two angels anywhere in the Bible that are actually named personally. One is Michael, the archangel. The other is Gabriel, whom we're gonna look at today. Did you know that in Luke 1, when we see this interaction with Gabriel and Mary, that this isn't the first time that Gabriel's mentioned in the scriptures? And Gabriel is actually mentioned in the Old Testament. If you go all the way back to Daniel, Gabriel is, is referred to there as well. In fact, Daniel, if you remember, Daniel was a follower of God who was away in exile. He's away in exile. He's forced or, or, or tried to press into false worship of a false deity, and he refuses and begins to suffer all kinds of persecution. And he's agonizing. He's praying, and he's seeking the Lord and trying to stand for the Lord in the midst of uh, this, this terrible situation. And what you see is, is, is when I, Daniel had the vision. I sought to understand it. And there was a man who spoke and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood and he came to where I was and I was frightened and I fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, oh man, this vision is for the time of the end. And so this angel Gabriel appeared to Daniel to try to explain the vision that God had given to Daniel. That's Daniel chapter eight, Daniel nine. How wild would this be? It says, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, the angel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in a swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. And he made me understand, speaking with me, saying, oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. So as he's just having a little time of prayer, this angel says, with swift flight, just shows up in front of him and begins to explain to him the vision that he had. It's a pretty remarkable scene. Uh, even crazier than that, the next chapter, Daniel 10, says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. This is Gabriel talking about a scenario in which he was sent to come to Daniel, and for 21 days, he apparently had to do this other battle, spiritual battle, kind of got hung up at work and couldn't get to Daniel in time, and he said, but Michael came and relieved me, and I went. Does this not just blow your mind to think in an unseen realm that these are the things that are going on in our world. And yet it's what the scriptures seem to present to us that's happening. You remember who it was that shut the mouths of the lion in the lion's den when Daniel was in the lion's den? Uh, scriptures actually say, um, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. What if it was Gabriel? We don't know. It isn't named I tend to think because of his association here that perhaps it was Gabriel who showed up to shut the mouths of the lions when Daniel was facing death, certain death. Do you know that angels yearn with excitement to watch and participate with all the things going on in our world? Like somehow they have a bird's eye view on what's happening in your life and my life and they are watching God's salvation plan unfold in front of them and they're excited to lean into that. In fact, 1 Peter 1 says that the gospel message bringing salvation, that when it comes to new people, that this is when, what it says, things into which angels long to look. They're marveling at God's plans as they unfold in front of us of what's happening. Paul says one of the reasons for his calling to preach the grace of God to the Gentiles and the whole world was that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That Paul was doing something that was gonna be witnessed in the heavens 
when they were watching all that's unfolding. Jesus himself told us that angels rejoice every time God's grace captures a human heart. Remember this in Luke 15, he says, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Friends, do you realize that angels are watching right now? That angels are, are, are observing what's going on in your life and the ins and the outs and they're watching how the Lord is at work and they're watching when you respond with obedience. They're watching when you're, you have trusted the Lord and they rejoiced. Bearing fruit. There's a whole lot to absorb about angels. It's sort of mind-blowing, isn't it? Now, let's think about Gabriel. Think about the impact of Gabriel coming to Mary and an angel who's seen all that he's seen for thousands of years. An angel who was, um, is gonna have an incredible perspective on the unfolding of the first Christmas, don't you think? That if he's, if he's lived through thousands upon thousands of years and he's observed all the things God has done through all of human history up to this point, and then he's the one that God says, now you go and speak to Mary can you imagine the excitement he felt at being chosen to be the one to bring the good news to the future mother of the son of God? Well, kind of set aside your nativity image, nativity scene images, like the little thing that's nice, nicely decorative on your, on your mantle and kind of move beyond that and think about the majesty of all that is happening in the Christmas story that this angel who serves in the presence of Almighty God, this angel who worshiped with joy when God spoke and the earth was formed in front of him, this angel who watched as God's plan unfolded from one century to another, from Adam to Abraham to Noah to Moses to, uh, to King David, and he watched this all, all unfold. He was there when Daniel was uh, suffering persecution and he was ministering and caring for Daniel and for thousands of years, he's waited for the Messiah to come that had been promised. And now God says, Gabriel, let's go. You be the one to go tell her. Imagine what he would have felt as he got to go and to speak. And so then in Luke 1, uh, we see that he went and he told Zechariah about the birth of John the Baptist. And then in Luke 1, 26, it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Friends, it's easy to miss the power of the scriptures in a little verse like that, isn't it? But is it not mind-blowing when we watch and see all that God really is doing and all that it really means? Um, let's not run past that this Christmas. It made me wonder about seeing things from the perspective of, of Gabriel sent to tell Mary about the Savior's son that she was gonna give birth to. It made me wonder, like, were these words easy for him to speak? Was he nervous? Like, did he speak really quickly because he was just so excited to get it out? Or did he speak really methodically and slowly to make sure that Mary soaked it all up? What tone of voice did he choose when he thought, I get to tell her once about the Savior's son that God's going to send the world? Did he get a lump in his throat when he told her that Jesus would save the world from sin? And this was the one who was gonna reverse all the evil that he had watched unfold for thousands of years. And he said, this son is going to undo all of the evil of the world and everything's gonna turn back on itself. And then you, Mary, are gonna bear this child. Can you imagine the moment for Gabriel to speak in that kind of a way?
So I want us to look at the story from his perspective. And six, um, the rest of the time, we're gonna look at six messages from God that Gabriel revealed to Mary. So six things, six words that Gabriel had, I think, that show up in his message that tell Mary important things he wanted her to know. The first was God knew who she was. Uh, friends, do you ever feel alone? Do you ever feel unseen? Yeah, it's amazing to think, I can't help but wonder what a normal teenager um, like Mary must have felt at this moment. You know, she's probably going through life worrying about acne and body image and all the other things that teenage girls worry about. She's betrothed to be married. She's uh, likely was betrothed at the age of 12 and her marriage was secured, was chosen by her parents and secured through a payment and that was unfolding and she's likely at this time about 14 years of age. And at 14 years of age, she's walking into this future as a small town girl learning how to manage a house and learning how to, how to do all the things that needed to be done to be a wife. And, uh, but the most high God of the universe knew who she was and knew her name and sent Gabriel to her, specifically to Mary. That means that God knew her face and God knew who she was and God saw her. Do you know that God sees you too? It's an important thing to know. The scriptures say that God knows each of us by name, that he knit you together while you were in your mother's womb. He made you unique and he put his fingerprints all over you. God knows you even as he knew Mary. Then Gabriel reveals that God knew where she was. Uh, Mary was not in an important place. In fact, she was in a, a nobody town or a nowhere place. Uh, if, in fact, a lot of people think Luke clarifies in verse 26 when he says, a city of Galilee named Nazareth, that he knew that when people read this, if he just said Nazareth, people would be like, I have never heard of that town. So he has to put it in the region. It says a city in Galilee named Nazareth so they would kind of know where it was. She was likely in a small home in a small town, seemingly unimportant by every standard that the world measures things. By every worldly standard, she probably was completely invisible to anyone outside of, outside of that house. <clears throat> Friends, do you ever feel invisible? You realize that God our Father sees us right now? We may feel forgotten. We may feel overlooked, but the Lord can find us wherever he needs, wherever he looks for us, whenever he needs us. And maybe even as you hear me say this, you're not expecting anything at all from life and you're not expecting God to break in. It's interesting to me that Hebrews 13 says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. That some people, sometimes angels show up for house call in unexpected ways and you didn't even realize it. Friends, we should live with a sense of wonder. We should live with a sense that God sees, that God knows who we are, that God knows where we are and we should eagerly serve others knowing that, um, that the opportunity that God may break in at any moment. Thirdly, we see Gabriel says that, that God knew what she was. He knew who, he knew where, he knew what. Um, it says, Gabriel went to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. God knew the intimate details about her life. He knew where she had been, where she had not been. He knew what she had done and not done. And um, <clears throat> do you think that uh, Mary had any idea that God, that the God who made the world was attentive to her situation and, and that he was aware of her circumstances in life? She was probably going about her life like we do 
not realizing that God knew everything that was going on. It's likely um, she was about 14 when she was receiving this message. She would be about 15 or 16 when she gave birth to Christ, and yet God was aware of every detail, the most intimate details of her life. <clears throat> Friends, do you ever feel insignificant? You realize that God knows the things that are going on in your life as well? <clears throat> in fact, Jesus says that there's not, a, there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground that the Lord isn't aware of it. And then Jesus goes on and says, and the Lord knows not just who you are, but he knows every hair on your head because you're of more value than the sparrow. God knows who you are and he knows the details of your life and he cares for you. Uh, the fourth message that Gabriel brought to Mary from the Lord was that God gave, gave his grace toward her uh, when Gabriel was, uh, addresses Mary, he says, oh, favored one. It's the Greek word charis, which means grace. It means, it might be, it'd be like him saying, Mary, you are one on whom God has poured out grace. You're one that God has poured out favor or grace upon you. And in fact, this, she's so stunned by this message uh, that it says uh, in uh, verse 29, it says she was greatly troubled at the saying, trying to discern what kind of greeting is this? Like, no one talks to me this way. Like, this is a really weird, a strange greeting. Friends, grace is always this disruptive thing in our life that breaks up the status quo. You understand that God's message here, it's pretty amazing. Well, one of the amazing things about this is that God's message came not to a Roman emperor in a palace. Uh, God's message didn't come to a, a philosopher in the Areopagus. God's message came to Israel, this tiny little kind of backwards country in the middle of nowhere in, in the world landscape that was taken captive from, from Rome and subjected to their overthrow at the time. And yet, in the midst of that, it didn't just come to Israel, but it wasn't sent to Israel, it wasn't sent to Jerusalem. It didn't go to the temple, it didn't go to a high priest. It went to a little town in the middle of nowhere to a young teenage girl whom no one knew who was likely boring, uh, bored that day doing daily chores and homework at home and God's grace broke in. Uh, the angel sees concern on her face and offers a word of comfort. He says, Mary, don't be afraid. You found grace from God. That's good news for us. Friends, we have a God who freely gives grace to nobodies in the middle of nowhere. Do you need that word today? Maybe it'd be a better way to say it, to say everybody is somebody in God's grace. Every place is someplace that matters and everyone has something to offer by the grace of God. But God's grace comes as a free gift. And number five, God gave his commitment to her. Verse 28 says, the Lord is with you. It means God is here to help. It means the Lord stands by her side to help her in all the things that she needs. And Gabriel wanted Mary to know that she was in the presence of the Lord, that he was for her and he was with her and he was not going to leave her through all the things that transpired in the days ahead. You know, Jesus said something similar to his disciples before he left. He said, lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can stand against us? Friends, we need to know God's commitment to us, just like Mary needed to know God's commitment to her and all that she faced. Number six, and God gave his plans for her. Gabriel then revealed Mary what was about to happen. Verse 30, he said, watch and see what God is doing in the world. And he drops uh, just a little bit on her. And he says, you're gonna conceive a son. I, 
Ladies, that'd be enough, right? Like that, just an announcement to kind of rock your world. That would be plenty, I assume. But he didn't stop there. He says, you will conceive a son and oh, by the way, the Messiah that the world has been looking for for thousands of years, that every time you go to priest and he talks about a Messiah, a savior that's gonna come to the world, that's the son that you're gonna bear. Uh, he will be uh, one who will, uh, who, who will take the throne of David. He'll be one who will rule over Israel. He will be the one who rules in a kingdom that will have no end. It'll have no end to its boundaries. It'll have no end to the nations that come under it. It'll have no end to the timeline in which it does. He will have a kingdom that lasts forever. How's that? for a bit of a surprise on a Thursday. I don't really know what day, what day it was. Um, but Mary had an obvious immediate question that needed to be answered. She says, um, how exactly since I'm a virgin? Um, someone had probably given her the birds and the bees talk by then, I don't know, but somehow she had known even from her inner experience how things work. She's asking a biological question. How exactly does this unfold? And, He's gonna go on and say that this is a miraculous birth, that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. It will be a holy thing that's done. And not only that, it's interesting because he goes and gives her an example and says, and by the way, your aunt, Elizabeth, is also in her old, her old age going to conceive a son, and that too will be a miraculous birth. Uh, God, when God moves in the world, oftentimes he testifies to his work in the way he's working out salvation by sending miracles to say, this is real, this is happening right now. And so there's two miracles that take place. One, uh, kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, there's Elizabeth who is barren in her old age, who's gonna have a miraculous birth. And then there's Mary, who's a virgin in her young age, and she's gonna give a miraculous birth. And you can imagine the, the surprise that this would bring as God is carrying out her plans. And you see Mary surprised through the whole scene. I love what this says about God and his plans to use everyday people for good. See, Mary wasn't a super saint that just said like, I, I see how all this is gonna work. She had questions. She had uncertainty. She didn't know how it was going to unfold. And yet she trusted the Lord. She was available, when, available to God when Gabriel came and offered this message. Look at her reply. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to be, let it be to me according as according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Gabriel had heard all he needed to hear. Like, she's good. Mary said, Behold, watch and see what God's doing in me. I'm the servant of the Lord, which means I'm ready to do whatever the Lord bids me to do. Friends, can the same be said of you and me? Are we ready to do whatever the Lord bids us to do? Are you listening for his direction? Are you ready to serve at a moment's notice when he breaks in? You may not receive an angelic visitation as a direct message from God, but you have God's message in his word that gives us more than enough to obey and to do. And he has spoken to us. His plans were not easy for Mary. In fact, his plans were gonna cost her dearly. One of the things I love about the story as you see it is that, that, that she didn't know how this was all gonna play out. She was likely a nervous teenager dealing with all the other things teenagers were dealing with and yet she was willing to walk by faith in the words the angel spoke to her from God and said, let it be as the Lord has spoken, even in all of my uncertainty without I don't see. I'm ready to accept whatever plans you have for me, Lord. Do we say like Mary did, let it be to, be, let it be to me according to your word, O Lord, as you have spoken. She's a wonderful example for us of bold faith and great confidence in God. I love that she doesn't flinch. She doesn't hesitate. She doesn't hedge, hedge her bets. 
She didn't like negotiate with Gabriel, like, all right, well, let me talk about this. Let's talk about some scenarios and how this might work itself out. She just says, let it be to, be to me as according to your word. And she obeys. Friends, in all of this, Mary is an example for us to follow because just like Mary, I think it's important for us to know that God knows who you are. God knows where you are. And God knows what you are. You don't have to hide anything. You can come to him honestly. He sees you just as you are. He sees the worry. He sees the stress. He sees the burdens. He sees the brokenness and the weakness and the failures and the sins and he sees all of who you are and he knows exactly who and where and what you are. And yet, he also, just like Mary, gives his grace to you. His favor that's freely given, not because we earn it, but because of his love, compels him to give it. Titus 3.5 says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. His grace is for you. Um, his commitment is given to you as well. Um, what will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Romans asks, nothing at all can separate you from the love of God. He's also given his plans for you. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, you may not have this Christmas a specific word from a specific angel about a specific task, but it's important that you know that you have God's word and you have God's promises and you have God's call to live for him. And before you hear me say these things and you begin to have that talk in the back of your head that sometimes we have that says, um, well, no, not me. Probably not, you know, probably not, God probably didn't care for me the same way he cared for Mary. No way God uh, sees me the same way. No way God wants to use me. Perhaps you need to hear the words of the angel Gabriel this Christmas. Nothing will be impossible with God. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the glory of your scriptures, the glory of all that is unfolding in front of us and the reminder that Christmas is good news for each of us. Father, would you meet us where we are? Help us to believe that nothing is impossible with you. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.